Hello, and welcome to the Data Cloud Podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Adrian Troy, head of Streamlit at Snowflake. Adrian co-founded Streamlit back in 2018, and it got acquired by Snowflake earlier this year. In this episode, Adrian talks about how business people can use data science, the key role of data scientists in your organization, how Streamlit was acquired by Snowflake, and so much more. So please enjoy this interview between Adrian Troy and your host, Steve Hamm. So Adrian, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So tell us a bit about Streamlit, which was recently acquired by Snowflake. Briefly, when and why did you and your co-founders decide to start the company, and what does it do for data scientists? So my co-founders are Amanda Kelly and Tiago Teixeira. And I were really part of the group of the first generation of people who grew up with data science and machine learning as actual things that companies really did at an industrial scale. We all met at Google. We were working on get Google X, self-driving cars, other kinds of advanced technologies. Then Amanda and I went off to have another job together, which was working on self-driving cars at a company called Zooks. And then, of course, the three of us came together and formed Streamlit. And the thing that we noticed over the course of that of those careers was that here was this amazing group of people, namely the data scientists, the machine learning engineers, who were suddenly put in charge of really important data and insights by these big companies. And it was super hard to communicate the work that they were doing to others inside of a company. It's just a property of working with that much data, with the kinds of models that machine learning engineers build, with annotating that data, being able to search through it. It's really difficult to convey that to others. And so we saw that either... They were using super poor, impoverished tools to do so. Or often companies would invest tons and tons of money in building custom infrastructure to make it this possible. So a, a, an example would be we have millions of annotated images that we're running through our machine learning algorithms. We need other people besides just the machine learning engineers to be able to see those images, annotate them, go through them, and so on and so forth. And there's tons and tons of these kinds of internal micro-applications adjacent to the data science and machine learning workflow. And there wasn't a good way to build these things in order to communicate your findings to others inside of a company. So seeing that we all, well, I should say, to be perfectly honest, I convinced them both <laughs> to quit their yeah. jobs. Obviously, a, a, an insane thing to do in the beginning of, of you know every new company story, and start a company to to do that. And that was Streamlit, and it took off like wildfire in the open source community. And it started being used not just by big tech forward companies like you know Google and Uber and Apple, but also by Caterpillar and Seven Eleven and mid-market companies and startups. So it really swept the world. Yeah. No, that's a great explanation. Now, it might be helpful for some of our listeners if we turn this next section of the podcast into something of a primer for business people who want a better understanding of the data science phenomenon. Please explain for all of us what data science is, the variety of things that data scientists do, the main tools they use, and the challenges they face. Sure. So data science 
is distinguished from other types of data, data adjacent work that you see in companies in basically two ways. In some ways, it's like analyzing data in an Excel spreadsheet. But unlike that, you're usually dealing with lots and lots of data. So, so much data that you'd need to, hey, a fancy company like Snowflake <laughs> to actually manage it all for you. You may have heard of Snowflake and, and run queries against it and so forth. So think so on the one hand, you can think of it like doing analyses, you know, let's say in Excel, but on massive, massive amounts of data. So that's the first difference is this the size and scope of the data that you're dealing with. The other thing that makes data science really interesting and unique is the, the types and the, the power of the analyses that you can do. And this is really, it usually goes beyond, you know, let's make a, a graph of something that happened in the past. You can get into, let's build a statistical model of what's going to happen in the future. Or, you know, machine learning applications. How can we actually predict from all this data what a customer is going to do next? So those are the kinds of things that data scientists deal with. And one of the key challenges in the field right now is that it's difficult to convey the insights that you're working on to others. And so this kind of plays out in a couple of different ways. One is that data scientists, let's say they do a brilliant insight and they say, we can predict how much your marketing spend or how much our marketing spend is going to make in, in, in revenue based on the statistical model we built. Okay, well, then the marketing team says, great, run it with these numbers. Now run it with those numbers. Oh, awesome, that's great. Run it with these other numbers. And all of a sudden, your brilliant data scientists are sort of reduced to rerunning their models over and over again for other people, which is, it's a communication problem, actually. Right. And are you saying that the people, the people within the business units or function, they should be able to run them, these models themselves? Totally. They should be able to run the models themselves, play with them. And, and ultimately, you know, it's, it's, it's not just about what is the answer. It can also be, I want to understand, I want to gain insight into what the model itself is saying. That's actually a big part of machine learning is how, how well is this thing working? <laughs> How does it break? What if I throw this data at it? What if I throw that data at it? That's interesting. So, so a model is a kind of a digital twin of, of something that's happening in the world. And it can be used to analyze the thing that's happening in the world. But you also can use what's happening in the world to kind of improve the model. Correct? That's exactly right. Okay. All right. Good, good. Now, there's a lot of terms that are thrown around, I think, uh, in, in our industry and in, in, in the press. Data scientists, data engineers. My sense is those are two different things, but some people seem to use them interchangeably. What are the, the how do you distinguish uh, between the work of data scientists and data engineers? Yeah, that's a great question. Suppose you're in a company and you see a sudden drop in the visits to your website, let's just say. You could turn to your data engineers who are in charge of maintaining the sources of data in good working order, their provenance, et cetera, and say, hey, is this actually really happening or is there a blip in the data pipeline somewhere that's causing this problem? That's data engineering. Right. To the data scientists, you might say, hey, we noticed that there is a drop in traffic to our website. Can you help us build a model of why these drops happen? Can you help us predict over the next six months, are we going to see a drop like this again? So they're sort of exploring the data and trying to figure out 
uh, what comes next. Yeah. Well, that's a good explanation. So uh, another term that's thrown around quite a bit is data application or data app. Unclear, it seems to mean different things to different people. So what's your definition of a data app? And and do both data scientists and data engineers write and use data apps? And, and how do they use data apps differently? Yeah. So a data app is usually a small application that you go to on a web page, an internal website, or maybe you'd have it on a phone that allows you to play with, manipulate, understand models and data that you're company has. And do both data engineers and data scientists write data apps? Well, they should. (laughs) And one of the cool things about Streamlit is it makes it so easy to do that, that increasingly we are seeing both those categories of job titles, building data apps really productively in applications using Streamlit. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Now, you mentioned machine learning briefly before. How does machine learning fit into the data scientist's job? So machine learning is really the uh, extreme end of data science where you're dealing with either massive data sets or really complicated, let's say, unstructured data like images or natural language text. And so the, the types of techniques that you use to analyze that data are even more sophisticated and they they fit in this category called machine learning. So from Streamlit's perspective, we consider that just another data workflow and a really exciting one, one that, that really pushes the limits of technology. And in fact, Streamlit was originally designed for machine learning engineers specifically, and it was only after release it in the world that we saw it massively adapted by data scientists and realize, oh, it's actually this sort of cross-cutting need that's being served by Streamlit. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to ask one more question here, then we'll get back to Streamlit. But it seems like the most popular programming language for data scientists is Python. Why is it so popular and how is it used? The reason why Python is so popular is because it's so gosh darn delightful. (laughs) It's really very easy to write. It's very easy to read. It's kind of difficult to mess up. And so for people like data scientists and machine learning engineers who are also thinking about data and also thinking about statistics and big models and so forth, it's really, really nice not to have a super complicated programming language to add to the complexity of your work. And and is it used to both write data apps that are then reusable, but also to write queries that are kind of one-offs? Yep. It's used for data app development, for queries, even for model building and model training. So it's really become the language of machine learning and data science around the world. Okay. And I think that does kind of take us back to Streamlit. So people talk about the modern data stack, and I know that Streamlit, you know, is a player in that. So Within that data ecosystem, what's the range of problems that your product helps to solve or the new capabilities that it enables? So the really amazing superpower that Streamlit brings to the table is giving data scientists, machine learning engineers, all those engineers using Python we were just talking about, the ability to build these micro apps super easily and quickly. Without it, it was possible to build apps, but it was a heck of a lot harder. And people thought in terms of weeks, they taught in terms of quarters. With Streamlit, they think sometimes in terms of 
a few hours or a weekend side project. And if you do that over and over again, it can really start to affect an organization, have that power. So I, let's let's kind of drill in deeply here. Give us a step-by-step example or two of a data science team using Streamlit. Maybe one that's typical and one that's atypical. And remember, our podcast listeners include non-technical people. So be merciful to them. <laughs> I'll tell you that one of the earliest and for me most eye-opening examples of the Streamlit use was by Delta Dental. And they got super excited about Streamlit and they started building really amazing internal applications to understand how their, their call centers work. So it turns out in the medical insurance business, having really good call centers is the name of the game. And how do you do that? You're analyzing every call in real time, including the sentiment of both callers. This is machine learning, figuring out if you're happy or sad, the gaps in the conversation, and of course, aggregate statistics about how quickly, how often, and so on and so forth, these calls are happening. And they built an amazing dashboard in Streamlit that allowed executives in the company to see this data and play with it that simply wouldn't have been possible using more traditional business intelligence tools like, let's say, Tableau or Power BI. Right. And that was just, for me, such a cool example of how giving data scientists this power to build their own apps using their own data and then share it with others in the company is just such a transformative idea. How about an atypical example? Got one of those? <laughs> well, go to our gallery, streamlit.io slash gallery, and you can see tons of wild and wonderful examples of people using Streamlit to do all kinds of things. People have used Streamlit to make an app for all of the free parking spaces in their town. So you can just go to the app and check, and it'll automatically detect the free parking spaces and tell you where you can park your car. People have created apps to analyze your Goodread habit. So you can go to Amazon Goodreads, see every book you've ever read, and it'll give you a ton of statistics on what kinds of books you like to read and so forth. So there's an amazing sort of diversity ecosystem of cool, weird streamlit apps that have been built both in and out of companies to solve weird corner problems. And that's honestly one of the delights of running streamlit. Yeah, that's a wonderful, wonderful story. Hey, I, I kind of want to step back uh, here for a second. Snowflake is very much a very important player in the modern data stack. We talked about the, the data stack before. But in its history, you know, it started off really with a data warehouse in the cloud, the first native cloud data warehouse. And it was used by, by companies to manage structured and semi-structured data using SQL to write applications and queries. Now, that's not data science, I don't think. Now, so how has Snowflake really gotten into the game of data science? What, what's, it, what's it doing to support data scientists? Well, as we talked about earlier, the key language in data science and machine learning is Python, not SQL. And Snowflake has done an amazing and huge effort around Python over the past couple of years, notably with the release of Python Snowpark and the partnership with Anaconda, which now basically brings modern Python and the entire machine learning and data technical ecosystem to the hands of Snowflake users. The other big thing they've done, I'd say, is acquire Streamlit. 
which was one of the fastest growing data application frameworks of all time, and which we are now bringing inside of Snowflake as a first-class product and super excited to see what Snowflake customers can do with it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how did the relationship between Snowflake and Streamlit begin and kind of emerge and evolve? So originally we were talking about a partnership back in December of last year. And the idea was that we were going to work with with Snowflake to bring this product to market that was going to allow Snowflake customers to build beautiful apps in Python, share them internally, and also share them with other companies through a framework called Native Apps. Those talks became so elaborate that... Um, and and also, frankly, just so exciting. And and eventually, I we got to meet the founders of Snowflake, and they liked us, and, and we liked them. That we just started to realize, wow, we are actually talking about the same joint product here. And the coolest and most efficient thing both of us could do together is really just you know embrace and and bring this product to market. And and once we saw that. You know, it's it started to basically transition from a partnership talk into an acquisition talk. Yeah, yeah. Now I I see why it's advantageous for Snowflake and Streamlit to do this thing together. But what advantages to customers come from the combination of the two companies? Well, I've seen this talking to so many Snowflake customers. There's a real thirst to bring data insights to bear throughout the company. We want the marketing team to be able to access the data scientists' work. We want the operations team to have access to the data scientists' work and so forth. And so with Streamlit in Snowflake, we are releasing a version of Streamlit that's going to unlock that potential across all of Snowflake's customers. Now, you mentioned right near the top, Streamlit started off as an open source project, became a commercial project, a a company. It's, it's got these two parallel technologies. What happens to the open source technology with the acquisition? The open source version of Streamlit is going to remain strong. The community is incredibly valuable to Streamlit, not only because it's nice to have lots of people use your work, but also as a part of the product itself. If you go online and ask a question about Streamlit, you'll see in Tons of code examples out there, or you may even have someone, a friendly person, answer your question. All of that is the Streamlit community. So we are committed to supporting and developing the open source project and keeping it in parallel, advancing it with the Snowflake version, while at the same time giving Snowflake customers access to an amazing array of features that sort of directly make sense and uniquely make sense in the Snowflake ecosystem. That's good. So we've been talking about the past and the present. Let's talk about the future for a minute. So looking ahead for a year or so, what major changes are coming in your field? From where I stand, we are still in the earliest days of machine learning and data science inside of companies. Every department that we see now is going to 10x in the next couple of years. So this is a major change that's going through corporate America right now. And the outcome is more efficient decision-making, more access to pertinent data, the ability for the 
organization to make decisions automatically through deployed machine learning models and so forth. And that is that that is just a trend that it's if it seems big now, we've only just got started. I see the future. What a fascinating modern age we live in. Is this what the future holds? I'm going to ask you to put on your visionary cap now. Looking out five years or more, what are the major changes in technology and data analytics that you think will impact business and even society? The major five-year horizon implication of machine learning is that the data sources are becoming sensing sources. Let me give you an example. If you today... If you just point a camera out of your window, you unless you have a lot of people know-how, you end up with nothing but a video of what's happening down the street. What we're seeing with machine learning is that that's no longer a video. That is a description of everyone, accounting of everyone going down the street, their speed, their gender. And this is all happening in that automatically. So take that analogy to every data source that you've all across the world. And imagine now that we are actually sensing what is happening in each one of those data sources and bring that into the inter- internal system, that is a major societal, civilizational change uh, for all of us. So it makes it possible to understand what's going on kind of in the world real time, much more deeply. You can gather much more data than humans can just by themselves because of all these internet of things, all the other data sources. And then these events, these things that happen can trigger applications and and responses. That's exactly right. Is that the right way to see it? Okay, good. That's exactly right, yeah. I can see why that could change society. I mean, it's really, when we look at all the phases of automation in human history, it's kind of the next huge advance. That's right. And And it's not the advance that some people worried about, oh, Machines are going to do all our thinking for us. It's really the machine as an as an, a really powerful assistant. It looks like yes, and 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 the machine as as a powerful sense organ. Yeah, I think that the, looking back on it, you're exactly right. We won't say, oh wow, the the, the computers just think for us. Maybe, maybe in the long run they'll think for us too. But yeah. I think it's a little bit like astronomy, like the the can see deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the cosmos and with more and more detail everything around us and that that's similar to what's happening machine today suddenly our ability to sense and see the world it's like blinders were taken off and we can count and see a million new things that weren't possible before that is a beautiful vision sir thank you i hope it comes true yeah you know thank you yeah yeah your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Really need to dig deep and get to know the real you. In the real, up close and personal. We're coming to the end of our podcast, and typically at the end, we, we try to end on a, on a lighter note, ask a, a more personal question. And, you know, we, we've talked, obviously, and a lot of people love to hear the stories of the beginning of something, of, a, of an invention, of a big idea, the aha moment. And I know that you have a really good story for Streamlit. So would you please tell that? Yeah. My very brilliant friend, 
Lucas Bywald said, hey, Adrian, you know, it'd be really fun if we went off into the woods and coded neural nets together. And so we went off into the woods and we rented an Airbnb cabin and we took our laptops and we started coding on neural nets together, which was really fun. And out of that cabin in the woods came two of the biggest, most, you know, most recently biggest companies in the machine learning infrastructure space. One of them is Lucas's company, Weights and Biases, which does experiment management, among other, many other things. And of course, our company, Streamlit. And so it's been absolutely an honor and breathtaking and strange and wonderful and fun to have you and your best friend start company at the same time and to see them both in parallel grow so impactful in the world. Well, that's a fantastic story. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. This has been a great conversation. I mean, I think you've told some good stories. You've told some very practical information for people. And I think for me and maybe some of the, the more business-oriented people, your, your primer on data science and data engineering and Python and, and, and machine learning, I think that's really valuable. I mean, I almost feel like we should bust it out and publish it because I read a lot and I read a lot that seems very muddled in the press. And I think clarity would help everybody. It would help, it would help business users of technology. It would certainly help investors to understand the value of companies and, and what's really going on in the, in the marketplace. So I want to thank you so much for this conversation today. I think it's really valuable. Thank you so much, Steve. This was a, this was a real pleasure. The Data Cloud World Tour is making 21 stops around the globe so you can learn about the latest innovations at Snowflake's Data Cloud at a venue near you. Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full-day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data. Find an event near you at www.snowflake.com data cloud world tour.